Hello, I'm Ben Eshmade, and welcome to another edition of the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields podcast. In this episode, we focus on the Academy Chamber Ensemble, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. The group was created in 1967 to perform the larger chamber works with Academy players who regularly work together. Chamber is the most fun you can have in this profession, as far as I'm concerned. First and foremost, we're musicians. We perhaps happen to play certain different instruments, but we are looking at everything from almost the compositional aspect. That's really how we're trying to understand it. Drawn from the principal players of the orchestra and play directed by Academy leader Tom O'Keller, the chamber ensemble performs in all shapes and sizes, from wind trios to string octets. They've been described as an impressively seamless ensemble by the Chicago Classical Review and technically superb by the Dallas Morning News. The group has a busy performance schedule and tours regularly to Europe and North America, whilst recording contracts have led to the release of over 30 CDs. We caught up with some of the players in between rehearsals for their summer 2017 tour to Spain in the historic setting of Craxton Studios in northwest London. First, we spoke to violinist and leader Tomo Keller and French horn player Stephen Sterling. Tomo spoke first. How long have you been playing in the ensemble, both of you? I've been playing for a couple of years. Well, actually, my, my audition <laughs> was um, with, with the chamber ensemble uh, five, five, six years ago. And then I started playing a couple of projects and since one and a half years as a member. Hmm. And for me, on and off for... Um quite a few years actually it's mm. a bit hard to, to remember <laughs> it's been quite some time but on and off for a while and uh, more on recently in the last few years I thought as we were here it's quite nice to maybe ask one additional question about sort of the, the rehearsals I think this is quite a regular place that you come to to rehearse but it, it's quite a special place how would you describe it well it holds a special place for musicians for chamber musicians in particular because for I've been coming here since I was my early 20s, a little bit of time back, um, rehearsing with chamber ensembles, contemporary music groups. I think there was a time when most musicians lived in North London and economically most of us migrated to the south, but Craxton's is still here and it's still sort of the spiritual home, I think, of most chamber groups in London. I don't know how much you know of this, but uh, to ask the question, how and why was the ensemble formed? What do you know about the history? The Academy of Smartens started out as a chamber ensemble. Its very first formation was playing Baroque chamber music in Neville Mariner's front room. The ensemble has grown from a small Baroque ensemble, transformed into a symphony orchestra, and it's kept various guises throughout all that time. So there have been periods when it existed as a symphony orchestra, as a chamber orchestra in various formats, and a chamber ensemble. So the Academy has had multiple lives over its existence. So the chamber ensemble has always been there. I think it's fair to say that anyone who plays within the chamber ensemble or the orchestra as a whole is very passionate about music and performing. But I mean, how would you describe the main ethos of the chamber ensemble? Basically, self-driven. It's For many years, um, Steve Orton would organise everything, did the whole tours. Now it's, it's done by the office, but we still um, discuss everything from from rep repertoire to which airport we are flying into in America and, and so on. 
It was quite a well-oiled machine. I mean, it's been functioning for many, many, many years. And because we get to repeat programs, which is unusual for some chamber, for mixed chamber groups, it's unusual. It means we get to rehearse works in depth. We're rehearsing the Schubert Octet, for instance, at the moment. And it's a work we've performed at least 30 times in the last couple of years. And we're still finding detail everywhere. You've mentioned a few pieces, but maybe talking more generally, what, if anything, is typical repertoire for the chamber ensemble? Well, it could be really anything. I mean, from from a trio, we did um, Brahms horn trio last year, to the usual string sextets like Brahms and the, the octets like uh, Mendelssohn. But I think we are trying to combine more with, with different instruments. We did the Dohnani sextet with piano and clarinet horn do different things in, in different combinations. So actually from two to eight people, any instrument could could be possible. I was going to say also with you, Stephen, I believe 2018 there's kind of plans perhaps to do more with the, the wind players. We've been talking about that because the chamber ensemble often functions as a string octet. There's no reason why the wind players shouldn't be out at the same time. There's a very, very established repertoire for harmony ensemble, which in the, in Mozart's and Beethoven's day, the works were popularised by groups of wind players going out and playing the tunes from the operas. And so there are, it's a very well-established group, Mozart, um, Haydn, uh, various people wrote harmony music, and Mozart has a whole body of fantastic music, Beethoven too. It's very transportable as well. We can all get into a plane and go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a commission um, for, um, for a piece for string octet by Sally Beamish for, I believe, next year or 2019. It's a strange thing. I mean, musicians are used to playing new music, but you are in an ensemble that's known for the classical repertoire. How do you find that? How, how is that experience? I think it's about uh, the right mix. If you repeat a Mendelssohn octet a hundred times, it's still amazing. But then if you combine it with a new work, it's even more amazing. Does the ensemble ever collaborate with guest artists? How much involvement does Joshua Bell have? Um, yes, I th- my, my first concert with um, the chamber ensemble was Dvorak Piano Quintet with uh, Juliana Avdeva on the piano. In June at uh, the Vale Festival, where we have a three-year residency, we played with a wonderful pianist, Anne-Marie McDermott, who is the, the artistic director of, of the festival. And we did the, the Schumann Piano Quintet. Josh also plays um, with, the, with the chamber ensemble more for events, I would say. But of course, you have a lot of concerts with very small forces. Like in the old days when it was a baroque ensemble, when we do, um, we will do Brandenburg 
concerto in uh, November, I believe, um, two two concerts at the at the Wigmore, four strings, number three, and actually the whole concert will be with very small forces, ten, fifteen strings, I, I believe. One of the things we did a couple of years ago, might be more than a couple of years ago now, was to perform Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, but the first half was the Beethoven Septet, and uh, so that that was quite an extraordinary idea to perform a, a Septet followed by the Seventh Symphony. It was it was um, very interesting bit of programming, great fun for us. What makes for a good performance for you both with the Chamber Ensemble? Well, I guess being a unit on on stage, not just trying to be together with somebody, but actually being part of the same spirit, moving along. And of course, when you do chamber music, you have an individual voice, which is equal to, to the others. So each voice is heard. And I think that give and take while you perform and that awareness and attention to each other is the most satisfying um, experience. And of course, you have this in any any good performance. But I think at the core, you have this chamber music. That's when you play with bigger forces. Many times a conductor would say, play chamber music, which means play well together, mm. listen, listen to each other. And that's the core also of the academy, I would say. Yeah, well, I think when... You know, we all have rehearsals during which we get to know music. Um, and nine times out of ten, other ensembles have just put something together and it's just about ready by the time you get to the concert. And then that, then it's over, you have to start again. We're able to repeat programs a lot. And so we get to know each other very well. And there comes a point where you're on stage performing and things happen unrehearsed and unspoken about. And it's absolutely fantastic when you know that... Everyone's just going in a direction. We don't quite know where it's going to go sometimes. It's, it, frees, it flows very freely. It's a fantastic collaboration. And, and you walk off the stage thinking, wow, something happened there. It was fantastic. And you hope that the audience got that too. Chain music is, is, is the most fun you can have in this profession, as far as I'm concerned. When you really know what you're doing and you feel free on stage, it's fabulous. As a chamber ensemble, how do you support each other? You must be a close community of friends as well as musicians by now. I think we're just a, we're just a group of people that rub along very well. You know, we recognise our differences. No one enforces their presence on anyone else. And at the same time, we, we sort of get along. It's a, it's, a, it's a good group of people to work with. You know, mm-hmm. Everyone has their own characters. They're fun. And there must be a few moments on tour that maybe stick out to you. I mean, I mean musical or otherwise. Every tour has its its moments, um, musical or non-musical. I I remember once I was on stage and wanted to start a piece and the music wasn't on the stand. I said sorry to to the audience and I wanted to go out and Bob said, no, no, I'll get it. And he went out and it took a couple of minutes and, and I was starting to sweat and he got back and he was shrugging his shoulders and shaking his his head. And I got so nervous, I thought, oh no. And, and I got up and then he took out the music from under his jacket, <laughs> put it on. <laughs> the Chamber Ensemble's upcoming tour to the USA features works by Korngold, Shostakovich, Mendelssohn, Dvorak and Enescu. Which of these works are you most looking forward to performing? Probably the Enescu. Um, I have played it once only. It's a huge, epic work, incredibly difficult um, it needs a lot of time to just put it together. It's very polyphonic, and it is an amazing um, sound world. It's its own its own language. And because when I started playing the violin for the first seven years, I think I had um, Romanian teachers who were um, students of Enesco students. So we would always get Romanian music, especially Enesco, to play. So since I was little, I have this 
um, connection. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this the most. All the time, every night, the Mendelssohn is always an absolute highlight, an absolute joy to play. Um, it was my first piece when I auditioned. Um, and I didn't, I mean, I knew it, but I hadn't played it actually. And I've played it now quite often. And every night is just pure joy. It's such a perfect genius work written by this 16-year-old boy and it's never losing anything of it. Next, we continue our look at the Chamber Ensemble with cellist Stephen Orton and double bass player Linda Horton. How does playing in the Academy Chamber Ensemble differ from the other chamber music that you participate in, and indeed the the main Academy Orchestra? Well, um, I play in a string quartet as well, and I've just done some concerts with them, which was very absorbing, doing late Beethoven. But I enjoy playing in the Chamber Ensemble because one has a chance to really work very closely at the pieces and you are the possibly the only player like in this group today I'm the only cellist and I've got to really make sure that I'm absolutely perfect yes in a sense it's like the absolute distillation the sort of essence of really of what the the group is all about and has always been about in the listening and in the sound production and the interaction and I think the fact that we all know each other very well have done over many of many years that really brings something because it is all to do with the camaraderie of the ensemble on and off the platform but and also the respect that everybody has for each other's playing that I feel means that we can we can talk about issues and hopefully people will not be offended we will we, it'll all be in the spirit of we're trying to, to make this the most interesting the most um, and delving as much as we can in the music and and having just rehearsed the Schubert Octet this morning there's still an absolute wealth and treasure trove of things to discover in the sound world, um, which is what's happening now. And this is why we rehearse. It's never something that just arrives, that uh, a definitive um, performance is always something that is evolving with the different dynamics of the players. Along with what Linda has said, one is always listening and trying to develop what is in the music. And the cello part often has not got all the filigree of, let's say, the, the first violin or the clarinet. So I can listen and maybe chirp in and say in the right way that something could be improved. I would like to think of it that, that most of us, or I think all of us, first and foremost, we're musicians. We perhaps happen to play certain different instruments, but we are we are looking at everything from the, almost the compositional aspect. That's really how we're trying to understand it and therefore how we fit. All of that informs absolutely everything you you play. And really, I feel that's what makes a really, really good ensemble. It's not necessarily that we all play in exactly the same style or whatever, but we listen in the same way. And that's something that an audience really, really picks up on when there's true, true listening. If you have a group of people who are just, you know, amazing players, I've witnessed this, you know, wonderful, wonderful players, but they're all essentially kind of doing their own thing. It's not really so satisfying as some people who, who really genuinely, mm. there's an interplay. It's like a good conversation. There's, mm. there's, it gives space to each other. Could you talk about the rehearsal process? If we were to go on tour, 
let's say, a three-week tour of the USA, which we are doing with a string ensemble in October, but next year we're doing it with this ensemble, we would probably meet for three days before the tour and rehearse for six hours each day. And we will know some of the pieces, but some of them might be new. Everybody has got to turn up with their part. Perfect. Ideally, one would arrive having practised and know what you're doing. It, it is an f- interesting thing, even then we obviously all know the notes individually and as a group, but it's the something that happens that just needs time to bond together as, a, as an ensemble, even with people, you know, because all sorts of things go on in everybody's life. So when you come together, it really is, I think it's quite important to have, have a bit of space. And even if you finish one day's rehearsal a little bit early, to have the next day, things happen overnight. You, need, you can't just intensely work at something non-stop trying to get everything right because the following day, probably half the things that you're working at just would work themselves out anyway. Travelling and touring is a major part of playing for the Academy of Smart in the field. It must be challenging at times, early starts, or, or maybe just even keeping your instruments safe. You're absolutely right. When we go on American tours, that is often um, the most difficult part because you're liable to be going from the hotel at 5.30. In America, you might be taking two flights, picking up a van, driving to the venue. I remember that one time in America, we arrived at Avis rental car and all there system was down and so we had to wait for an hour and a half and we then picked up cars and we arrived only an hour before the concert and you know the people were waiting we could let them know but but in the end the easiest part is the playing once you're on tour but um i mean one could dwell on how difficult it might be like for instance cello whenever cellos are go to an airport they always take a lot of time and they mess about with that never mind double basis, but uh, we don't want to dwell on that side of it. But certainly that can be a little bit of a hassle. How do you find the challenges of different concert halls? There's obviously different acoustics, different audiences, and probably other things that I haven't encountered. Mm, That's right. Audiences, funny enough, do make quite a difference. Um, Particularly in Germany, we go to Germany a lot. The audiences are very, very good at concentrating. They're very sophisticated listeners. And in America, likewise, they're, they're, they're quite intense about the listening. In America, particularly, even if you go to university with a slightly all-purpose hall, they'll usually have a shell built into the theatre. And nine times out of ten, there are some very, very good acoustics and some wonderful new concert halls in, in America. I remember... Yes, the Strathmore Hall is just amazing. It's all wooden and beautiful. But when you asked the question earlier, you can pick up a feeling in the audience. You can tell. And I like to be nearer an audience myself rather than 
stuck about 40 yards away from people. I'd rather be enveloped by an mm. audience because that's what I love doing. I love playing chamber music and I feel that that's one of the uh, important things of it, mm. communicating with people. If you're nearer them, you can communicate more. They kind of communicate with us because often when you're with the ensemble, um, as a double bass player, I'm not always with the ensemble, but the times that we do go, we nearly always have interaction from the audience after the concert. And they pick up on the most extraordinary things of the facial moments. Oh, you looked across at this, or you did this, you raised your eyes. But they they are so involved. They're almost part of the performance. And we really do get that feedback, which with a bigger ensemble, it would only be the soloist or Joshua or you who would tend to get that sort of feedback. We have a lot more interaction. And in a sense, we are sort of the ambassadors as well for the group. For all the, the tough times at the at the airports and the check-ins and all the farces that go on and the journey, we can try and put that all besides, and we do. And um, so we make sure that every time we go out there, because of course, for each music society, this could well be the pinnacle concert of, you know, two or three years. But it is a big deal. And you have to remember that every night, you know, mm. no matter how tired you're feeling, it is for them. You're here for them to give them a good concert and that we're performing on stage. And, and, and then we receive usually very positive feedback at the end. We kind of can feed off that and it keeps us going. We talked about musically, but I mean, obviously there have probably been some other great moments on, on tour. I mean, you get to be a tourist, for instance, don't you, in some of these places? Oh, yes. I mean, San Francisco, we often go there, maybe, maybe nearly every year. And usually I will hop on a bike and go somewhere if I have some free time. Uh, there are a lot of people who will seek out the nearest museum, I mean, I think it is very important if you do arrive at one of these amazing towns is to actually get as much from you, even if you've only got two or three hours. One should not sit in one's hotel room. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a passionate walker. I love to go exploring in all sorts of different areas of whatever city we're in. If there's an excellent third wave coffee shop at the end of the walk, better still and possibly a really good art gallery. But it's just getting the sense of the people and the pace of the city and the language and letting it all kind of drip into your ears and Mm. just having a few interactions and finding like small niche places to go to, perhaps by happen chance rather than actually design. And that's, that's what makes touring so rich. If I can add one of the fun things of touring are the people. like As Linda mentioned, she and Steve Sterling find the best coffee places. So we know that they will be done. But Harvey, he is our guru for anything uh, to do with um, computers or to do with your iPad. And he will often be putting on films on our iPads before we go on a long tour. Have you got this film? Have you got So we all have our different functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Smithson, is, uh, he's an art gallery man. I'm a Chinese restaurant person, if possible, Chinese and uh, Japanese. No, we all have our things that we enjoy doing when we're on tour. Are you looking forward to some of the upcoming tours? What are the highlights you're looking forward to? Yes. Well, actually, I'm very much looking forward to the one... Well, we're going to Spain now just for two days. And then we have this American tour with the String Ensemble where Mendelssohn Octet, Anescu. So that is going to be very interesting working on that. We've done the Mendelssohn Octet many times. We've done this, the Vorjak Sextet. Also Chord Gold, that is a new piece. And it's very important for us to actually have a different repertoire. We probably go with two different programmes. And... I think the tour near the beginning is quite easy and then I think it gets more difficult travelling. And then when we've performed 
the concert. We do have some encores, and one of our favourites was a Grieg piece, but also we often like to play Summertime, and the American audiences love that. And it's it was arranged by Timothy Jackson, who was a horn player, and I think he did it when he was 16. And we play this all the time because we love it. And when we start, you can hear the audience sort of go, because oh, <laughs> they all know it. So, so that, that is great fun, doing that. Thanks to Tomo, Stephen Sterling, Linda and Stephen Orton for speaking to us. On this podcast, you heard performances of Mendelssohn and Gershwin recorded at Performance Santa Fe by Bill Helpman in 2015 and an extract of Schumann recorded at the Bravo Vale Music Festival in 2017. More performances by the Academy Chamber Ensemble can be found on our YouTube and Spotify channels and podcast listeners in America can see the Ensemble in action during their 12-day tour of the USA in October 2017. To book concert tickets, find out more about the Academy or support our work by joining the Academy Friends, please visit asmf.org. I'm Ben Eshmade and you've been listening to an Academy of St Martin in the Fields podcast. That's about all we have time for, but as usual, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what you've heard. So please do get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag ASMF podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>